Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, the podcast in which we pick an overrated movie and an underrated movie in a similar vein and we discuss them. I'm Ryan Oliver. I host a podcast called Unspooled Real and I'm the author of the blog Wellness in 24 Frames. Hey, this is Octavia Kozak, a film critic for the Oregon Herald, DVD Talk, Bayas Parde, and The Playlist. Hi, I'm Eric McClanahan, film critic for The Playlist, Oregon Arts Watch, and I have another film podcast called Adjust Your Tracking. And our picks this week are by Mr. McClanahan himself, and uh, they're... We're going to do things a little bit different, a little bit looser. Uh, We're going to give you the titles uh, right ahead instead of teasing... uh, Instead of teasing the underrated pick, because we're going to be talking about uh, two films from uh, director James Cameron. This is our, I think, our third uh, director on director episode. We've already done a, a Danny Boyle and a Steven Spielberg one, and uh, Eric's uh, picked two films from uh, James Cameron. Uh, the overrated being uh, the the highest grossing movie of all time, still, still, uh, still, still be, right? Star Wars still, didn't take still over. by far, by far, uh, yeah, worldwide, mm. still by far, uh, Avatar, and uh, and then the nineteen eighty. Uh, director's cut of the abyss so um i i feel like that's about all the introduction we need and i'll just pass it on to eric and uh let's get this discussion going absolutely i think um i want to start with the abyss because it's a movie that i think is uh, well not i think it's one that i've immediately thought of as a great underrated pick when I started doing this podcast, it was one when Octa asked me to come on the show, however long ago, year plus ago, whatever that was like someday the abyss for me, I have to do it. And it's specifically this, uh, quite longer director's cut, which clocks in at like 170 minutes and mm-hmm. the theatrical, it's about 28 or 29 more minutes of footage than the theatrical cut that came out in 1989. And, um, I, According to IMDb, this director's cut came out in 1993, apparently. Like, it might have got a theatrical re-release. Um, so just worth noting that. But the yeah, big it, was, it came out on VHS, I know that much. Because okay, when I, when so I was, was going to a... film school, freshman film school, like, 98, mm-hmm. I got a bootleg VHS copy of the, the special edition. Yeah, which I, I actually had that VHS before I got the DVD copy that I have. So, yeah, the, I think you're right. Um, but regardless, The Abyss, to me, is is the under... It's the great under rated James Cameron film and when we're talking about uh James Cameron's like you know directorial efforts we're still he's still like under 10 movies I think he he doesn't make many movies right so there's not a lot to pick from and a lot of his work is pretty like well regarded but the abyss like quite significantly underperformed the year it came out it was always a movie that Cameron felt compromised uh was compromised hence why he made a longer version with like all the stuff he wanted originally in it but you really do see, I think, and I, it dawned on me today, rewatching The Abyss, that it is a film that has essentially kind of affected the rest of his filmography since. Because it's the first movie of his after Aliens, where um, 
Aliens was, you know, very fetishistic of the military. The the military guys were the heroes in that movie. And uh, I think it's, I don't want to put you both on blast, but it's fair to say we all love Aliens on this podcast. Oh, yeah. oh of absolutely. It's a fucking masterpiece, probably. And action, just, it's, it's a brilliant film. It's one of his best. But this is the first movie with The Abyss where he turns on his perspective of the military. And I think that's something worth diving into at some point in this episode because the military is a significant theme in all of his work, mm-hmm. not least of which the overrated pick Avatar. And it carries on to even through Avatar. His, his, you get the sort of alien, bioluminescent coloring, like, you know, the, the sort of environment, the look of The Abyss carries into, the, uh, into Avatar. You also have the sort of shooting in water and difficult conditions, uh, literal shots of hallways flooding with water that carries into something like how he was able to make Titanic, you know, about uh, seven, eight years later. It was like The Abyss was sort of, in a way, like a practice run movie for Cameron for the rest of his career as we see him right now, as he's, you know, what, lost in New Zealand, uh, making like three or four more Avatar movies. Like Which we should say the second one is focusing on the oceans of Pandora. So if you you want to go further into uh, the water and that element, Mm. uh, diving into his career. That is true. uh, No pun intended, but yes. (laughs) uh, And I'm glad you said that, Ryan, because that element of the Avatar sequel is one of the most only thing that's really got me interested in it is he really wants to explore a realm that he does quite well cinematically he portrays quite well and that's the water um but also the idea of him going into other realms of that world is the only thing that sounds of interest for me and we can get into that as we talk about our feelings of avatar exactly um, the that first he's film. made great sequels also exactly there you go that's the other thing that gets me excited but when you know just uh and i can hand it off to you guys to see what you think but really for me the abyss is a big one like I grew up with it as a movie. It was big for like me and my brother. Like it's a nostalgic movie for me. And I, I'm even talking when I first saw it as the theatrical cut that was only available mm-hmm. at, at one point. But then when I came across this director's cut, it, it, um, it's, I'll give you, I'll say this. It's hokier. It's much cheesier than it even was before. There's like the ex- added... exposition is clearer. Yeah. Like the, the exposition... motivations of the, uh, the aliens, the, or what do you want, whatever the uh, and, extra, yeah. not the extraterrestrial, interterrestrial beings well, or whatever they call the them. Movie they call underterrestrial, <laughs> underterrestrial, underwater terrestrial. Uh, no, underwater flying object. He calls them. Hippie yeah. Call. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so it's it, it, the, 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 their motivations become clearer, which I think. A lot of the times, uh, you know, film buffs and people, you know, like us who like more like a subtler approach uh, to messages like that in science fiction uh, might have gravitated a little more towards a theatrical version mm-hmm. of like, oh, it's all like kind of left in the uh, the viewer's imagination about what they were doing. But but at the same time, he cut out so much. And like you said, it was compromised as well um, mm-hmm. that. Uh, it the theatrical version turns into a movie where you can completely take out the the, the creatures, the aliens, and it would still be like an excellent thriller, mm-hmm. or like oh, yeah. excellent underwater thriller. But and that that's would what be a kinda, shame, though. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a shame, though? Because yeah. I yeah yeah, yeah. no, I, I understand, of- but I'm I'm just coming from like a complete like straight up story screenwriting perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. I mean, that stuff looks beautiful, and it's it's you know all that you know it's 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 great. But at the at the end of it, like because I, I remember watching it when it, um, I think the first time I watched it was on TV. Like I want to say like the early '90s, they showed the, uh, the the theatrical version, and this was like a year or two after Terminator Two came out, which made a huge splash in terms of like 
using CGI and all that stuff. And it was uh, I watched The Abyss around the time Jurassic World was coming out. So there was like CGI and like this new technology was always in my head as like this like impressionable 13 year old who's into like you know when you're a film when you're a movie fan at 13 you're into more of the shiny stuff than the more subtle stuff. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So you're like, ooh, shiny. Like and the, the Abyss CGI has a lot of looks that. Looks cool. <laughs> and then you know, so I knew about the Abyss in terms of like, oh, James Cameron's movie between Aliens and Terminator Two, which I love all of those. Uh, and uh, and I heard that it was like the the one that he basically, like you said, it was just like a trial run for CGI as well before he got he did uh, he like broke new ground with with Terminator Two. So I was really interested mainly because of that one sequence where the um, the aliens who control the water is basically like the surrogate thing comes out of the water and like mm-hmm. you know that CGI effect, which still looks great to this day. I gotta I agree. say, I agree. Uh, Cameron is one of those directors where he just like he knows exactly how to use whatever the limitations of like uh, technology that's given to him. Mm-hmm. So he probably looked at like CGI technology in the late '80s and he was like, like this technology does water really well. So let me do let me use it with water instead of like trying to make it like you know uh, CGI like human forms or you know organic other organic stuff like that. So it's like he picked the the right thing to use for that sequence. So just like that blew my mind when I first watched it when I was like thirteen or fourteen. But yeah, definitely like there was a part of me before like I didn't even know there was a special edition out or the extended cut or whatever, but I could still tell. I was just like, this feels like it's 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 great. It's a thrilling movie. It's exciting from beginning to end. It's greatly paced. But then at the same time, you're like, what was the motivation of the creatures? What do they want to do? And it's it's a little bit here and there could have helped a little bit more, but keeping it so vague, I felt, I felt like it turned it into a situation where you could maybe take out, like, all the... uh, Not all the alien stuff, but, like, you know, just... I didn't feel like it really affected it that much, and I feel like that's what... As as obvious as the the special edition makes it, which I don't know why... He he has this weird thing about, like, not calling his director's cuts, like, director's cuts. He always calls them special editions. How weird. Yeah, it's like... So the the official... Even though he basically says, like, this is my version of the film... Right. The the official name of the Abyss quote unquote director's cut is still called the special edition. Right. Um, yeah, I didn't even know about that. But then even then, I was like, I feel like there's more. And uh, what I really like about the special edition is like, yes, it, it makes that whole environmentalist message that you know, like you said, Eric is just like you know that came back in Avatar. So those later later films yep, have yep. the same messages that that made it made that message clearer made it clearer as to why they didn't go through with it and and also just like just on on a visual scale um that whole i the 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 effect that ilm did of the the giant wave stopping right before it hits the uh mm-hmm. the the ground is is beautiful it's just like this really eerie gorgeous visual 
that I'm glad that like made it back into the film. Could you imagine all the people working on that effect for and it I'm to be, like, be oh, cut? It's oh, cut, sure. and at that time <laughs> to create that, like, and then uh, the odd thing is, is that well, maybe it's not odd because this this director's cut did come out of it or the special edition, but um, how influential that effect has been in <laughs> how many like disaster movies that have come out have the giant wave effect. I mean, that's that goes back to the abyss. Like uh, yeah. uh, that's well, kind of cool. Wouldn't have a career with yeah. that <laughs> scene. Exactly. Um, Ryan, I'd love to know what you think of, of the abyss, man. What oh, do you think? I, I really like this movie. Uh, number one, uh, looking at the last shot in the movie, I, I had a thought too. I'm like, has, has Cameron seen the quiet earth? Because that last <laughs> like, oh, scene, yeah. Uh, yeah. like really <laughs> reminded me of, of that. But, um, no, I really like this movie. I do think I, I actually think the aliens' uh, motivations are actually pretty quite clear, actually, especially with the sort of like Cold War tensions that are bubbling um, throughout in the background of this. A lot movie. of that is it's, cut from the theatrical version, though. Yeah, right, which I've actually never seen. I've only seen the director's cut. Oh, okay, so so you, so you mean yeah, yeah? In the that's You're I meant unsolid. like the <laughs> yeah. I, I meant the aliens' motivations in the in the theatrical cut wasn't really clear. Oh, the, got it. The, okay. In the special so edition, it is it's it's really clear. Yeah, it's it's, super. it's, it's completely completely clear um and for me i i think like octa even said without the alien stuff this movie it, it eric's right it would be a shame without it but i do think the movie is even effective as just this like underwater paranoia thriller especially like for me on a personal level because like i i can swim and like i like swimming in like a lake or swimming in a swimming pool i, I don't mind that like leisurely but i hate being underwater like i hate the feeling of yeah, being underwater. Too. so like this movie is just like gives me a panic attack from like for the first for everything for the from beginning to end and so like to me it's it's almost a great horror movie in that way for yeah. me because it's that like claustrophobic feeling especially that amazing back. scene with uh ed harris and um mary elizabeth, mary elizabeth and oh God, where the yes. water's slowly filling up and they're like negotiating so over basically which one of them gets to live yeah, <laughs> I, also gets to think, drown. I also think outside uh the first terminator this might be his best screenplay i would yes, yes because yes, like definitely. we you know i i think and we'll definitely get into this with avatar but i think we can all acknowledge as much as we're all pretty big fans of james cameron we acknowledge he's not the greatest screenwriter in the world mm-hmm. like he but nobody's ever going to tell him no so he's <laughs> always going to write his movies but like this movie i feel you know, obviously the aliens' motivations are clear, and and it, things don't have to be clear for it to be good necessarily. But like, I feel like the characters, like everybody has, yes. and aliens is that way too. But every single person has their motivations for what they're doing. Every single person has these traits to them that makes them, even the smallest characters, just like three dimensional. I agree. Uh, I, I agree. I, like the crew members, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. like I'm I have talking. favorite characters in this movie, and it's not like it's it's not like aliens where they're all badasses. These are like regular. These are like yeah. the crew of the Nostromo they're, from they're Alien. Not, they're not written absolutely. interchangeably. That's they're that's, blue collar yeah. people, right? But like Catfish, the the guy who's like the tough guy, lovable tough guy of the group, who always is the first to. Uh, by the way, that actor has like the greatest slow mo punch scene in this movie. Yeah, I, it's awesome when he punches <laughs> Michael Bean, and it just goes hey and it cuts to him yeah i love that moment i get chills well the way I that s- scene is edited and paced and written it's incredible. like uh, it does a lot for that as well yeah when the abyss kicks into like thriller mode or action mode holy shit it's just a reminder that james cameron can make something thrilling out of slow scuba 
like, you know, the tanks that they drive underwater, the like floating tank things like those aren't going very fast, but it's thrilling when they're like chasing each other. You know, the way he yeah, he cuts it together. And I think Alan Silvestri's score like has a few kind of weak, you know, maudlin moments, but by and large is like really kind of perfect for this movie dynamic. Yeah, it changes. You're right. It's very dynamic. The ranges it goes through, it has horror-like moments occasionally, but then it does get into this, like, grand, like, very cheesy, like, the thing I like about this movie and the, especially the special edition is that it's James Cameron is an earnest filmmaker usually, but this is his most earnest movie, I feel like. Like, he won't, he can't be this way anymore because he's an older guy, I feel like now, and that's where the lessons he learned making the abyss. And I think the struggles and the fact that it ultimately wasn't a huge hit for him, unlike basically everything else he made. I think it's, it really was a huge, it, it stuck with him in a way. And he learned a lot of lessons, but yet I don't think, and Ryan, you, you made me realize this as you pointed out the script of this movie. I think it changed the way he, he wrote his scripts from then on, because Mm -hmm. you look at the first Terminator, the I'll put the first or an aliens and then the abyss, the script work, he's never been as good with his characters. Like, he's never been... T2 has a pretty solid script. But you know what I mean? Like, he starts to waver a little bit. He becomes a little more... Like, he, he starts to rely on kind of cheesy lines in he, his... He like, true lies especially. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get, like, you know, it's like, where's your invitation? Here's my invitation. <laughs> like, stuff like that. Yeah. And, like, yeah. and, and Avatar yeah. will definitely get into uh, some of those very yeah. cheesy yeah, lines. But this was his... Um, I mean, this was definitely the biggest budgeted movie he had done um, up until this point in his career. And it was the first, like, it, it was his passion project, like his sort of, like, reward, uh, or, or maybe, you know, the process wasn't, but at least getting greenlit. It's like for doing, for Terminator doing so well and Aliens doing so well that he got to make this movie that he wanted. But, it, you know, it, it was compromised, as you said, at every single turn in mm-hmm. production. Yeah, and it's, yeah. It's too bad. Go ahead, Octa. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, damn it! I forgot what I was going to say. Anyway, well, Eric, Eric, go sorry. ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to. I was just going to say that. Um, I, I, the Abyss to me is. Um, it's it's one of those movies like okay. So there's a lot of uh, everything is sort of the grandchildren of 2001: A Space Odyssey. You know, like yeah, since yeah. that movie came out, a lot of especially uh, considering James Cameron's like obsessed for that movie right and obsessed with exactly he's he loves that movie and every director that's reached a certain level of power like james cameron and uh other directors who they they all have kind of wanted to make their version of 2001 and i like nothing stands even on the same level of that film obviously it's one of the greats of all time but i do like the grandchildren of 2001 and i'm thinking of the abyss is the one for james cameron i think of close encounters of the third kind for spielberg but Uh, at least, at least Interstellar. Was, Interstellar. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I and mean, honestly, Contact for uh, Robert Zemeckis. And every I, single science fiction film ever made by Ridley Scott. <laughs> <Right>. Maybe <laughs> like, even like non-science fiction films. You can see like influences of 2001 on shit yeah. that doesn't have any science fiction in it. There's no, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying anything new to say how the influence of this 2001, but I'm specifically these big directors that make their, they want to make their 2001. Like, not just that, you know, mm-hmm. 2001 affected like the entire movie industry mm-hmm. the way effects were changed but i'm talking just making their kind of my yeah, my yeah it's got trippy elements you know mm-hmm. like ex- great effects you know they've all kind of done that and i like those kind of movies i think the abyss yeah. is one of the is one of the most original of those because it's aliens don't in, in water they're in the water yeah, yeah it's, it's an original avenue to go so down he, he goes down instead of up 
He goes down. He, Cameron goes down. Cameron goes down. <laughs> he goes down hard. I, I don't know if I want to see that, actually. No, I would honestly, not want to see that. It's ironic that we say that because the dude, like, everything, it's the opposite of that in his career. He, he makes, every movie is more successful than the last. And everything since The Abyss is, like, bigger budgeted. Each movie he makes since The Abyss seems like it was then the biggest budget movie. They're he's more ever- and more populous, though, uh, in, in exactly. approach. That's why what we're talking about with screenplay, I just remembered what I was going to say, by the way, um, that uh, after The Abyss, he puts he started putting plot and set pieces before character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't like a you know like one of those like soulless blockbuster Michael Bay types where just like didn't even go into character or didn't even go into any kind of a story structure. He was he was like really like he has a certain base level of quality that he's he's just he just doesn't compromise for sure. Uh, but but you can tell that like starting with uh, Terminator Two, which has a bit more like character stuff in it, and then moving on to True Lies, which is kind of a far semi parody, and then um, Titanic, which is like the on the basis level of like the very straightforward romance um, uh, mixed with like the disaster movie, and just basically. Uh, puts together all the tropes of that and does it in a in a in a way that's just like totally perfectly fine but you know mm-hmm. nothing special as far as like the story and the screenplay that last concerned. hour of titanic though is, is fucking great it's great but it is, is that, is, uh, that that's it more is. the director directing and the pacing to me than about like as far as writing is concerned i don't see anything uh that was like written Right, there's, so well. There's no, a reason the Titanic script didn't get nominated for all the Oscars that Titanic won yeah, the, and was yeah. nominated for. It never got a nomination. And that, that, that was script, that was I mean. appropriate. And the thing yeah. that I like about the Abyss is that maybe it's the last time where he prioritized character over plot. Yeah. Uh, it like you said, like all these like uh, the grunts in an alien ripoff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More uh, ninety five percent of the time, they're all interchangeable. They're like, you know, they just get picked off one by one. Even an alien where you can, like, tell them apart. Like, there are a couple of them where, where you're just like, you know, maybe uh, Yafit Koto and Herodine Standen are a little bit interchangeable. Oh, I like uh, them in that movie, but I yeah, hear you. Yeah, I hear yeah, you. you know, hear but, but, yeah, it's, it's, but this one is just like the, every single character is so distinct. Mm-hmm. There's more um, attention given to them. And the whole theme of the story about, like, uh, these alien creatures, you know, will they or won't they have any faith in humanity at the end? Mm-hmm. Uh, goes hand in hand with the fact that he prioritizes characters and the relationship between the characters over the plot, because it's all about how they relate to each other, how they like get through this insanely uh, stressful, like frightening situation <laughs> by working together, and the aliens see all of that stuff. So it, it ties into the plot as well. It's not just like I'm just going to write a character-oriented like action movie because I'm like artsy fartsy or whatever, which is like as far away from James Cameron as you can get anyway. <laughs> right. But um, that's what I really like about the Abyss. It's just like that's why it's so endearing to me, and that's why like. You're right. It is underrated in that sense, especially the special edition that goes into all these like kind of elements about you know should you have faith in humanity? Should you not have faith? Like, and these are kind of like themes that James Cameron has always kind of grappled with. Uh, you know, like 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 you mentioned, Eric, with like the stuff that he made after. There's a lot of like you know uh, showing like the worst sides of humanity uh, intersected with the best parts of humanity but the people who usually represent like the better parts of humanity are in the minority right and 
with every new film, it feels like they get like that minority becomes smaller and smaller. <laughs> like like an avatar, for example, it's just like the entire world, and there's like two people, uh, two humans who are like, wait, this is fucked up. Maybe we should help the you know the indigenous aliens or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, versus like ten billion people who are like, we need all this stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's that kind of like dichotomy that I really enjoy. The um, I kind of want to get into uh, maybe down the line. Uh, you know, I want to hear your thoughts about all this stuff first. But I kind of want to get into the uh, idea that like I, I think this is a better written and a better executed love story than Titanic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even though Titanic is the be all and end all, like everybody's like big romance or whatever but um well that anyway. movie fetishizes the romance like this yeah. movie has like a a like true honest to god romance at the center of it especially because it's like there there's hardship that goes into the relationship as well as the good stuff and like there's they have to go there. through the all characters this shit. are better have better exactly. We're introduced to them with a pass. It's not like they, it's not like Jack and Rose or Jake and Deteri who just like yeah, met. Exactly. You know what I mean? And it's also, like they, they've also, had this past. Also, shh, the performances are better. <laughs> oh, Ed Harris is fantastic, and so He's, is Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonia. I cannot pronounce her last name to save my life. I apologize. Tony Montana's sister. Just call her that from now on. Oh gosh, so, uh, who who I loved as a kid because one of my favorite movies as a kid. I'm not going to say now was uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Nice, uh, <laughs> Marion. Yeah, that movie doesn't hold up uh, for the record, but uh, <laughs> no, that's going to be a hold up on my podcast for me someday. Maybe I'll be disappointed. It sounds like no, we'll it doesn't out. hold. I, I mean, I, I was never a huge fan when I, mean, I was like ten, I think, or eleven when it first came out. Uh, mm-hmm. When while Ryan was still in diapers, but um, <laughs> true, uh, <laughs> it's actually true. That wasn't. I, I was kind of setting that up to be like a joke, but then I'm just like, that's actually true. Wait a minute. Yeah. Well, she, uh, but Ryan, like, you're right, man. She's yeah. she's great. Like Mary Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, she was, she's great in everything that she's she been in. That, she fits that one trope, like, not trope necessarily, but something that's also been consistent in Cameron's career, career that I have to applaud for, strong female protagonist. Like, yes. she comes uh, with this, uh, immediately she walks, she's, like, so tough that even people, like, she walks onto the... Uh, that ship at the beginning and Chris Elliott's like, Oh, here's the queen bitch of the world. Like she's <laughs> just because she's so headstrong that like these, you know, maybe meeker men don't even know what to do or how to handle that. And also uh, she's not, she's not a strong female character the way that we think of strong female characters now where it's like, Oh, she kicks ass. So she's a strong female character. Yeah, she has muscle. Rip- or, it's, it's, like, so, it's, it's always like external, but with, with her, she actually is a written as a written and performed as a strong female character. Mm-hmm. I, I had texted Eric uh, watching this movie last night or after watching this movie. And uh, I was like, you know what movie almost would have been a good overrated to go with this was Ar- Armageddon, like the sort mm-hmm. of like blue collar, you know, the blue collar heroes, the oil rig guys, the oil, oil rig guys. Yeah, the, does anyone the, really the, love Armageddon anymore? Like people, <laughs> I know people who love that movie and I, well, why, I, why are I you still friends with them? I, well, cause some of them are family members, so oh, okay. I can't necessarily disown them, but uh, <laughs> but like the blue collarness, and also like when Chris Elliott says that line, it reminded me also of like I, I think it's the like old guy at the beginning of Armageddon with the telescope who like, calls into NASA and he's like, "Can we name the the uh, asteroid wife. after my wife? Because she's the biggest bitch in the world." But like it comes <laughs> off so like ugly because yeah. that's just you know base style. But it's like this one. 
it, just another it, big it misogyny. But, but like, but this movie has like that absolute amount of tension because you care about the you care about these characters, you care about uh, their struggle, and uh, yeah, I, I I think it's great. I, I lost my train of thought there for a second. It's, it's, it's like an ambitious. It's an it's, ambitious movie. Like he's th- he's going for a lot, and that's why I think the movie actually is even paced better when it's longer because he is he is working with a lot of ideas and things he's going for. Like there's the whole like Octa said, you in one version you could almost remove the aliens and it would be a whole movie unto yeah. its own. And there's not th- where uh, Octa, you're also I also agree. Octa is like. Y- y- uh, James Cameron isn't some artsy fartsy director, but there aren't many directors that work on bu- movies of this scale that would have a, a, a script that is this narratively kind of freeform because there are massive inciting incidents that happen that are like only at like hour two in this movie. And you're like, Oh shit, there's still 50 minutes of like an alien encounter that has to happen. Mm-hmm. And you know, Ed Harris has to dive down the trench to go find the bomb. Like it's like, it's like a movie with five acts. Yeah, no, because, exactly. Because the, 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 the traditional third act climax of beating the bad guy yeah. happens. And then there's still an hour to go. There's still an hour. Exactly. The movie's not done yet. And yet it doesn't feel to me anticlimactic. And it does with that shorter theatrical cut because things kind of are like, we got to rush and just, it's over. And suddenly they're floating up and he's making out with Mary Elizabeth at the end of the movie. And it's like, what just happened? Where when the movie, when the movie has time to breathe, when it, when it, it, a lot of the good little character bits are cut out in the theatrical version. And it's, it makes sense because that's the way a producer or a studio would look at a movie of like, we don't need them singing all together a country song as they work, yeah. you know? That's the stuff that's actually cut out. And it's little snips like that here and there where scenes all breathe quite a lot longer in this in this special edition. And it's just, it's like, it's kind of like James Cameron doing what PTA did with something like Magnolia. Like, nope, this is my thing that I want to do. I, it has to breathe this long. It has, to, mm-hmm. it has to have this many character moments because he's working with a lot, but yet, with the sort of quasi like five act structure, as you said, Octa, that, that the movie has this like mm-hmm. not common, you know, it's pretty different script structure for this kind of movie. It really works. He pulls it off. And I, I think that's, it, it I mean, gets the, to the, the big know, reason I think yeah. this is sorry, real quick, just no, like the big reason this is a bit like an underrated for me, like such, it was such an automatic pick for me at some point is that, Nobody really talks about this movie from James Cameron because mm-hmm. stuff like Avatar and Titanic have just they're the movies that everybody it's the reason he is famous now like super famous but mm-hmm. The Abyss is to me like one of those that people should go back and watch I feel mm-hmm. like but anyway they can get a good quality version I was going to say that too <laughs> Yeah uh, so I wanted to talk about that guys because I got to ask the DVD that I have it's the it's the special garbage. edition it's almost no frills there's both the theatrical and the um special edition on here mine mine played it's it filled up my whole screen as a scope aspect yeah, it'll, it'll do that it's but uh, you had what, to fill it right is that the problem it's, it's a uh new uh like dvd players that came out like i want to say like the last decade or so they have that feature where if it's a non-anamorphic transfer right because it used to be that you know you put it in a four by three regular old you know tv it'd be letterboxed uh, it was letterbox, like it was the the, the scope 
the 235 to 1 aspect ratio was completely letterboxed. It was not anamorphic. And that, that creates, when you watch it on a widescreen TV, especially when you upconvert it, if it's an anamorphic transfer, that makes it look so much better. So much. Because You're there's, right. there's right. less information on the top and bottom of the screen. Mm. Uh, so they can use, like, more bit rate. It was, you know, like, anyway, our, our friend Drew, like, the, the AV nerd can, like, go into, like, <laughs> 10 hours of details over it, this. It but looks better, basically. It looks there better, should, yeah. There should so, be so, a freaking Blu-ray of this movie. Yeah. Oh, there fuck yeah, be. at well, least. And, and even, I gotta say, a bigger hit than this movie, there's still no True Lies on Blu-ray either. Yeah. And True Lies is a non-anamorphic DVD as well. It's it, uh, Yeah, both those DVDs suck. Strange and I Days, say, Strange Days as well. I love Strange Days. Strange Days doesn't have a Blu-ray, and the DVD looks like garbage. Uh, when you put it on and like a lot of these like James Cameron stuff like the I don't know what's holding it behind but it's like Avatar sequels <laughs> I guess like yeah. we don't even have like an anamorphic DVD like I would be at you least would... because when you when you what happens is that um, so your DVD player automatically blows it up and you get the kind of illusion if you didn't know a lot, you know, if you were a guy who didn't know a lot about, like, this stuff, you would be like, oh, it's just like any other DVD. It's just up-converting. But in the back of your mind, we, we, you'd be like, this kind of looks terrible. Like, right, right. It's, there's something odd here. And what's going on is that your DVD player is automatically not using the anamorphic uh, signal. Your, right. DVD is, your DVD player is just automatically zooming in on this letterbox picture. Right, and so what you're getting is like uh, you know basically a fifty percent at least like uh, decrease in picture quality. Right, and I watched it like that today on like a um, you know like I watched it a little bit on the the projector downstairs, which is like a hundred twenty inch screen, and it looked like you know a bunch of like pixels, like giant pixels fucking. Like that's what it looked like. It wasn't so, too bad. I played it off it was, a Blu-ray it was pixel player. Orgy. <laughs> On my, I have like a 38 inch flat screen and I played it through my Blu-ray player and it, it looked, it was, it just looked like a DVD through a Blu-ray player. It wasn't too bad, but I, mm. I bet Octave with you blowing it up that much. That makes sense. Yeah, and I watched it on the 55 inch TV and it's just like, it's so hard to get. I mean, if it was a movie that was like, uh, maybe like an indie, nothing. Right. Like a Woody Allen movie. I'd be like, ah, fine, whatever. But right. it's the abyss, man. Like, you know, mm-hmm. how this the fact that this movie doesn't have, like... So it's, it's, it's like such a weird place that we're at where I'm like, go find the special edition of The Abyss. Go watch it. But maybe wait for a Blu-ray to come out. <laughs> <laughs> right. my, my disc lied to me. Like, it said it was anamorphic widescreen. Uh, and uh, oh I put it in, and... Okay, so the, like the two worst things that could happen at the beginning of the movie happened. Uh, number one, the THX Deep Note, of course. And then after that, <laughs> it said the one thing that I hate to see, this film has been modified to fit your TV. Oh, and I was like, fuck. no fucking way. And that was starts it full like, screen? It's, yeah, it was full screen. And I was like, the, the box said it was widescreen. Why is it full screen? Uh, and, and yeah, it mine was, says that, but mine is 235. Like, I didn't, mine didn't say oh, that. No. Mine was mine was four three. Mine was oh, oh damn it was a pan yeah. scan. I don't know what I don't know what it was, but uh, I I, w- I was so frustrated because uh. I've had this, like I I forgot. I guess it had been so long since I watched it. Yeah. But, like I I was like oh yeah own it yeah. and then yeah yeah. All was, I know from AV it, nerds is that there's like eight different DVD releases of the Abyss and they all look like shit. Right. Like, there was yes. a single there, one where people are like, "You should buy this one." I, I dug deep because I wanted to know on the internet. Like, and there was an HD like digital VOD copy available to rent or anything either. 
That's no, no, it's shame. not. It's that, not the strangest fair. thing is how hands-on Cameron is of, as like a technician and how much he cares about that. And I wonder if it's because he's so knee-deep in Avatar sequels that like he he is he isn't able to be present during a restoration, and that's the only way he would let his film. I don't know, but that's the only Maybe. thing I can think of. It, it's well, bizarre, though. It's yeah, but I gotta say, yeah. I, I was digging deep and I was looking at forums because I'm like, is it coming? Is we are we going to get one? And apparently, somebody had posted, and you never know if this is true or not. But there was a apparently down in L.A. two years ago, there was a 30th anniversary screening of the Terminator that uh, Cameron was in uh, was present with, and uh, this this person either wrote for a site or knew somebody who was writing for a site who got to like interview James Cameron or got to ask him a question and um and he said something to the effect of he's like you know when are we going to get a copy of the abyss on blu-ray and Cameron just points over into the crowd and apparently it was just like a couple of executives at Fox and it was just like th- that those are the hold up so i guess oh, wow. it's, so apparently oh, and again who knows how true that is, but it might be on their end that they're maybe they don't think it's worth it or something. Maybe Somebody, but I, uh, maybe, the, maybe they'll wait because who knows? Maybe they'll wait for the next, I guess, big anniversary, yeah. which would have been like, which would be the thirty year in three right. years, or uh, or maybe whenever Avatar Two comes yeah. out, you know, so release. There's, a, there's at least a serviceable HD master that exists because mm. that's what they show when they show like you know. Uh, HBO or whatever, like on HD channels. Yeah, uh, that's the HD master shape they show, but they only have it for the theatrical version. Uh, I don't, ah. think, I don't think there's an HD version of the uh, this special edition that exists, which is the real shame because that's the version that I think I also agree that people should watch. Uh, but even those, like th- those, are only available, like you know, like on torrents and stuff like that. That someone basically just DVR'd from. Uh, you know when it was on Showtime or whatever. You know, so it's 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 very. Otherwise, you're stuck with those like shitty DVDs. What well, a shame! You know. This, oh yeah. God, sorry. No, no, go ahead, Ryan. Go. I was just saying, while while this movie is underrated, definitely in Cameron's uh, you know body of work, we should also mention though with the uh, with the director's cut, this movie has been you know considered pretty positively uh critically i think in the years since uh, maybe not necessarily honest release but it has been critically well regarded yeah. uh in the years since that is true uh, i think i think that's worth bringing up and i really it's it's the for me this the to stress the point on why it's underrated is just i just don't feel that much to, like of all the cameron movies that people if there's something like video essays or uh, or people write about him i rarely feel like the abyss comes up they'll dig mm-hmm. they'll go to the original terminator or aliens before that or t2 it's or, sure because it's a really rich film too with a lot of themes yeah no I, yeah and so um I, I really just it's sort of just one of those feelings i have it's just like why why don't people talk about the abyss like i just it's it's i can't necessarily prove it it's that it's just something i feel a little bit where as um with you know the overrated pick i think with avatar you can kind of say the same thing although that's kind of been a running joke on a podcast i'm a fan of the slash film cast is uh lately they've had this running gag between hosts of like Nobody like it's Avatar is no longer like people care about it no no more like even though it's the most yeah there's a lot of think pieces written about that that it's the, there's like the biggest box office sensation ever and had like almost zero influence on pop culture 
Right. Like people don't talk about it, it seems like. And, you know, other people throw out things like you never see anyone dressing up like Avatar characters for Halloween, you know, and there are these these almost kind of arbitrary things from our own experiences that make us think like nobody really cares about Avatar. But I do think a lot of us collectively are feeling that like James Cameron is like tripling down. He's making Avatar two, three and four, I think, concurrently, like basically all at once. And, and he keeps pushing it back. So he that, keeps put. Yeah, well, that's no that's nothing new for him. He yeah, takes time. Course. That's the thing, you know, <laughs> but it's going to be obviously a huge, expensive thing. Is it a gamble? Probably not because the first one was so popular, but that Avatar is still even after episode uh, seven Star Wars still the most globally highest grossing movie by like $600 million still, I think like still mm-hmm. quite a margin. Um, and it still will be when Star Wars is done is is that that movie had that 3D new... It was the movie that ushered in the new 3D that we still kind of see now. I mean, movie a lot of movies still are released like that, but has already kind of wavered. And I think that gets at some of what's been lost with the movie is that the 3D effect was, was sort of fleeting. You know, by the time we had Alice in Wonderland and then all the other movies that sort of retrofitted it to get those yeah. 3D dollars and they kind of picked off the 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 carcass of avatar like that it sort of became tired where there of course have been great examples of 3d used but i can count them on like less than 10 yeah, things the, the, the thing about that that whole the really fast uh rise and fall of the 3d uh thing right after avatar is that 3d as a um you know as a technology uh and just purely visually is not it's not a very objective matter Mm. If you make a shitty 3D movie, a uh, shitty-looking 3D movie, people are going to notice it, and people are going to get sour. And what happened was that um, the the market was flooded with 3D movies, especially right after Avatar. And the, the biggest mistake that I think the studios made was, like, uh, right after Avatar, I feel like 2000, the entirety of 2010 was filled with um, big-budget movies that were... Uh, post-converted yeah you know that weren't shot for 3d weren't edited for 3d weren't anything and wasn't there like there was news about like how like clash of the titans they had two weeks to convert it into 3d or something like yeah, that they and did just, the same thing with the last airbender the too, last I airbender believe. and like there Ugh. were like all these movies that looked like garbage because you know here you have a movie that was shot for this format where you know cameras spent like a decade perfecting the technology and um the way that it's it's you know it's shot like there's there's a specific way that you can you basically need to edit 3d like you can't uh you know like i i remember for example recently uh something like world war z which had i think had also had like a post conversion mm-hmm. and they might have uh the studios the studio might have like decided on 3d at the last minute because you can't have like a quick cut like handheld shaky cam 3d movie because your your brain has to like there's all this like scientific stuff about like your brain has to adjust the image and you know if you watch avatar it's just like the way it's 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 more languidly um paced mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. for you to like soak up all the images in 3d and i think it still kind of works in 2d but that was like the big thing well cameron and, was such a proponent for like people should be doing this native 3d he did always speak yeah. out about that that was important yeah, yeah. but you know of course like you're pointing out octane nobody most of hollywood did not care nor pay attention yeah. but any anymore it almost feels like that that fad has gone away so fast and it that has. we the, it has but we are left with 
pure pure native 3D that we get now. Like I almost mm-hmm. feel like because Cameron perfected it and Cameron used it to push the form that we got movies like Gravity and The Walk and Life of Pi. Like these mm-hmm. just immersive 3D. I'd even argue Prometheus in 3D was pretty stunning. Yeah. Uh, for as dumb as that movie is, it like was, that was the best thing about well, it. it, it looked, Hugo it looked, and Life of Pi yeah, as Hugo. well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got yeah, mentioned Life of Pi. Like these. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's all good. Mad Max Fury Road, even like, even though I think that might have been that post- was post conversion. Was it oh, okay? Yeah. But, it but either good. way, but either way, fine. like these these Avatar was able to push that form and use 3D not just as this gimmick, not just as a hey, let's throw shit at the screen at people, but yeah. it used it to like actually immerse you in an experience and it immersed you into this other world. And I think because of that movie, we again we got movies like Gravity and things of that sort and. You know, it's like that line at the end of Moneyball when uh, Billy Bean gets offered to go uh, manage uh, the Red Sox and the manager's telling him, you know, the first one through the wall always gets the bloodiest. And that's sort of the way Avatar is seen, I feel. Um, it, it's, it, you know, it, it's the one that people kind of point can point and laugh at, sure. But I think we've gotten even better movies because of it and because it was a trailblazer. It was, also, it was, it was six years ago, but I still remember, like... Um you know that it was an event like it was it was the i still remember how it looked and how it felt watching it in 3d a lot of movies that i watch in 3d i just completely forget they're in 3d because they do you know you go to press screenings and everything if it's in 3d they're going to show it in 3d most of the time yeah and a lot of them i'm just like it's just like it's just in the back of my mind i'm just like oh was that in 3d really and but i remember like avatar like the whole thing about it was that that thing that's part of the reason why it was such a juggernaut like uh, box office wise is because it was like an event like you went to the IMAX and I remember going with friends and being like enthralled into the experience of the way it looked and that has so much more to do with James Cameron's like you know him being a stickler for excellence and getting this like visually perfectly right than um, it was for just like oh it just like you know it was just a jackpot it was just like I just made a 3D movie and people were ready for it I guess it was specifically that movie and the way that it was presented in 3D that made it a big deal. It's funny, Eric. Go ahead. It's funny you mentioned the Slash Filmcast gag that's been going on. I actually tweeted at them. I was uh, was working on a a show and I was uh, building camera rigs in a cruise hotel room and I was waiting in the lobby and uh, the ICU by Leona Lewis played uh, in the lobby and I tweeted at them. I was like, well, I just heard this in the lobby. Is that culturally relevant? Nice. They actually actually all liked it, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, (laughs) That's that's fantastic. Yeah. I I mean, and that that gag on the Slash Filmcast, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, like I haven't really thought about Avatar, you know, me personally. It was, it sort of was something I agreed with, but also... I guess the main thing I want to get across with Avatar, I don't think it's a bad movie. Ryan, I'm really glad the way you laid it out and what you've just said about the film because it is a trailblazer. And that's why James Cameron is still like the man. Like everybody shits on James Cameron as he's making a movie. I'm kind of did it a little bit already with these Avatar sequels, but nobody should ever bet against James Cameron. And we have so much like he invented technology with you know his crew and people that made avatar and pushed the form further so we could get stuff like gravity which is like the best 3d movie i've ever seen and stuff like hugo and life mm-hmm. of pi which were amazing and um because of him that that's great but as a movie though like 
honestly, and it's the reason I connected so specifically with the abyss actually is all the things about the, um, the abyss that work for me, even though it's cheesy as hell, just like avatar is cheesy as hell is the abyss is just not as, it's not as like, uh, straight. It's, uh, it's so much, it's actually far more nuanced in it's like anti-military message. Mm. It's the way it's like the way we talked about the script being constructed. And that might be the big factor is James Cameron, the script writer, the change he's had, the change in him as a script writer from the abyss to avatar is the biggest change really, because as a filmmaker, as a visual, um, you know, like pushing technology further, but as a visual, like storyteller, he's only gotten like more accomplished yet. His movies, um, these last few, these wildly, massively popular, Oscar-nominated, Oscar-winning, are like far less. Uh, they don't. I don't think they resonate and stay as much. Titanic will always be a famous, fa- big, famous movie, mm-hmm. as will Avatar in some respect. But to me, and this is more so just a personal thing, but I think there's a lot of people who agree is like nothing can top like that first four films, not including Piranha Two, is, is <laughs> Terminator. <laughs> Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, the specifically the special edition, and T2. Like yeah. I just yeah, yeah. that's what makes him a great filmmaker to me. And though I'm happy that he continues to prove people wrong, that he's pushing things forward, that he gets to do what he wants to do, but I miss the old James Cameron. And I don't see the old James Cameron in Avatar. I see a far less uh, a more hammy storyteller. You know, well, a guy if, that if he makes, wasn't so hammy and obvious and populist in the way that he drew like incredibly narrow um representations of like the good guys and the bad guys the military and the uh the indigenous people i don't do you think it would have made nearly as much money probably not i mean i think that's the thing is he said he essentially put forth a massive hippie he put forth a really hippie message of like hey man like military <laughs> like that's that's kind of what i was alluding to in the beginning is that the abyss was the time where james cameron went from being a sort of tough guy filmmaker and he still made tough guy movies after but he became a hippie he kind of mm-hmm. suddenly and i think that was what was always struggling to come out of him because that's why the abyss was a passion project for him is it was as if that movie is earnest and works as it's like overly you know three hour long earnest story because it's him saying like this is what this is really me and that carries into the uh, into avatar mm-hmm. it's just so much more hammy you know like the military mm-hmm. the way um giovanni rabisi just like the, everything the cor- with him the corporate the corporate right. greed and military like right. violence right. and again who's the um i'm blanking on the actor's name billy lang is it that Stephen plays lang. Yeah, yeah. Stephen lang that guy is the best part of avatar for me because because he knows what kind of movie he's in, yes. and he's yes. and he's a great actor because he'll he he's, can do the the comic book hamminess. Yeah. He's they'll they'll kill horribly. you and his eat dialogue your eyes. is terrible. <laughs> yeah, they'll kill you and eat your ass like jujubees. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, like he knows. Sort of, he knows. He's taking a piss out of, and it's just it is a like as annoying as that character is. It's it's annoying because he's so horribly written. But uh, yeah, his, his, the guy's the guy's performance makes it at least entertaining. Exactly. But yes, you're right, Octa. As a character, he's like compare him he's to a cartoon. The- Compare him to the Michael Bean character yes. in The Abyss, and it's like, wow, look at the difference of script writing for a very similar character that represents very similar things. He does the orders from the guy on high, and both movies, 
kind of show you that like the steps made by the military are like it's step by step it's like it's all their fault what happens it's very clear mm-hmm. right the abyss if the fucking military dudes didn't leave with their ship to go get the warhead because they were given orders to do you know michael bean's like i was under orders but it's like he had a choice and mm-hmm. i like that james cameron got that message through much more successfully plus with everything else in the abyss than he did with avatar because like it's just more nuanced but yeah. like it's all the military's fault, and I love the way it's laid out. Like the abyss is really like a hippie statement of yeah, a movie, and, and, and I kind of love not, that. Not all the military characters are just like this monolithic, like um, violent uh, in the abyss, insane no. people. And you know, yeah. some of them are like, you know, some of them question Bean's, you know, sanity, and they're a little bit like unsure about what the hell's going on. But then they still have to follow orders and even the way that bean is written and he has an arc like the the, yes. the military dude in avatar doesn't have an arc uh just, yeah, neither, n- none insane. of the bad guys have any kind of arc they just like you know the the corporate guy is greedy and the military guy is violent and that's about it but you know he definitely has an arc and you, you get to a point where just like he makes for an interesting antagonist because there is a part of you that still kind of thinks like maybe i would have lost my mind too in that situation like it's it's uh it, there there's a lot more that you can sympathize with with well, because it's with, like that's a, what makes an interesting antagonist right they lay it out so well in the beginning of the abyss whereas another comparison to avatar it's stephen lang gives you all this really straightforward lame exposition in the beginning and he's like let me tell you about pandora and he gives this whole thing right where he lays out the movie and that's that's a much more ham-fisted james cameron screenwriter whereas in the abyss it's like seated in the whole idea of um what do they call it pressure sickness mm-hmm. like it's brought up michael bean is really touchy about it and it's like th- we see that he actually has a thing we can see the arc that you're talking about octay with him yeah. whereas yeah I Stephen mean, it's, Lang it's, is an exposition yeah, yeah exactly yeah. It's, it's not as scientifically sound as uh the space dementia in armageddon okay. uh, <laughs> a, he's got space dementia <laughs> That, and, that's that's my, that's, and that differs from regular dementia. Regular, <laughs> <laughs> the way, that's the, that's my favorite part in Armageddon. That shot where um, William Fichtner's like, he's got space dementia. <laughs> so terrible! It's so terrible. Um, you know, no, you know, I, I think uh, it's interesting because you know, you, again, to bring up the slash film cast thing, and I gotta I gotta bring it up because people were also talking about it when avatar came out is there was a lot of comparisons to star wars like it being this generation star wars in the way that it had done things that it haven't that it had done things we had never seen before it pushed technological cinema but i and i i wanted to keep that in mind while i was watching avatar this time like i wanted to keep it in mind if i was sitting in 1977 watching star wars and knowing nothing about it prior, like, you know, the sequels hadn't happened when you're just mm-hmm. sitting there and it's as a movie mm-hmm. and being blown away. Like I can imagine being blown away like and being an adult too. I think that's also crucial because I was thinking in terms of star Wars versus avatar. And I was thinking like, I, we were all kids when we saw star Wars. I mean, mm-hmm. like we we're all like, and got into it. And also the, I, I, I guess I'm what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is like I think the original Star Wars is you know if you take it just as a movie it's got its hokey elements to it as well and it's got its like painted black and white sides mm-hmm. not as much as Avatar but painted black and white and I think 
that Star Wars A New Hope, anyway, is elevated by the the next two movies. It's elevated oh, yeah. because yeah. it's part of this trilogy. Clearly. And it's part of the clearly. And so even though I, I can't deny that Avatar is overrated, especially when you reach that level of, like, like box office success. Like, how can you not, you know, resist that urge to take something down a peg or two? But I don't think, especially watching this as adults, I don't think we're going to have the context of how well this movie fits into popular culture, how well it holds up, however that may be, until we get the future movies and the quality of the future movies and how will that elevate this movie. Um, Because, I mean, as it stands now, it's a perfectly fine movie that's painted in big, broad strokes that's modeled after Pocahontas. But (laughs) at the same time, it's like... Fern Gully or uh, Dances with Wolves. <laughs> Dances, yeah, Dances with Smurfs, uh, <laughs> as South Park so brilliantly pointed out. But yeah. I-, I feel like if until we get those other movies, if two, you know, ends up being the Empire Strikes Back of the series and takes it into like murkier territory, you know, it's it's hard to say, I guess, where this movie's gonna fit in the pantheon of pop culture because unlike this society, this big Hollywood machine of just churning sequels out the second the first one becomes popular, yes. it's we're still waiting for the sequel, and I think that's pretty admirable in this day and age that that's somebody has the clout to be like, I'm not gonna do it until I feel well, yeah. I mean he's doing it, but he's like, I'm not gonna release it until i feel like it is the vision that i want and i i think that's great and i i i guess i guess we don't know that's what i'm saying yeah, i, I think, think that that's a great point ryan i mean yeah yes. you're, you're right i can i think maybe down the line the three sequels uh are gonna create uh this kind of like pop culture phenomenon that's gonna elevate the original avatar and make it look like kind of i mean there's more time passing mm-hmm. between the sequels uh you know it's not like a new hope and an empire where it was just like, there's just three years in between the films but at least like i mean i'm sure these movies are going to be huge i mean uh, the, mm-hmm. people uh have this like really weird short-term memory loss when it comes to cameron yeah because every single time like you know every single time people and pundits and critics and film buffs and industry insiders or whatever they're just like oh it's just like budget blown way out of proportion he's going insane this movie's gonna tank uh like all these like doomsday predictions for titanic for example becomes the high biggest movie of all time <laughs> the same shit happens with avatar and then you know at that time when before avatar came out people were just like oh it looks you know there's no footage and it's been taking so long and blah 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 it's just, it was the same exact conversations and back then even back then i was just like you guys don't remember titanic like it's the same shit that's happening yeah like, and this was way- gonna be huge and they're doing it now they're like you yeah. know a lot of yep. like people that i hear is just like, oh he's pushing the sequels back and like nobody cares about avatar anymore mm-hmm. these movies are gonna tank it's just like you idiots just stop doing this like it's like it's, <laughs> it's the same circle like can you just like have a little bit more of a like long-term memory to look back and be like this happened over and over again so i'm just like yeah just stop saying the same stupid shit and understand that the avatar sequels are probably going to be huge mm-hmm. uh, I, I like this i like because this is this is a much more nuanced opinion of avatar that, that i wanted to put out there like i like that ryan and octa you guys are yeah, saying so maybe this avatar's journey isn't over i think it's, I, it's I not yeah I, I am for any argument that says time is 
because it is always the ultimate has the ultimate last say so, you know, and we don't know yet because and I, I like the idea of saying it's only been five, six years for Avatar's existence. Like, why are we in such a hurry to classify it as, oh, it's not great anymore. It just was this flash in the pan. Like, I, I like this. That's the approach, even though I do think it is, I'll still argue it, you know, as a personal overrated movie, there's far more as we try to get at with this show. Like there's, there's all these different layers of that conversation to have. And here's where it is with avatars. It's not, it it is probably going to be huge. Hmm. Don't count You should never bet against Cameron uh, because it's a fool's errand because people even got worried about T2 was over budgeted, you know, like, and, and turned out to be huge and the only time it didn't work out where a movie went over budget he shot it on water had problems and he didn't really become a massive hit was the abyss and it's just i don't think that's gonna happen again because of other things we pointed out is he's changed as a script writer but as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. and you know it doesn't mean he's he's like you know it's just what it comes down to is what do we prefer from James Cameron, you know, like, and, you know, we've all laid out the types of movie of his that we like, and you just rule number one, don't bet against Cameron because well, apart apart from the pop culture, uh, resonance of the, uh, of the film, what specifically, what do you think is overrated about avatar? Just the film itself. Yeah. The film, like for me, I saw it twice in theaters. I really enjoyed it when I saw it the first time I like left work early, saw it like the first screen and at an IMAX screen, a proper one in Minnesota, uh, where they have a couple of those really enjoyed it. Like it did feel like an event because I was sitting next to like middle-aged dudes that left their like business jobs, like real jobs to come Mm. there. And I'm just like stone just out of college, like ready for a trippy 3d movie kind of guy. It was really, I wish I was stoned when I saw it. In oh, oh, it's a great stoner. Man. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great weed movie. Absolutely. But um, yeah, really enjoyed it, but saw it a second time, took some friends that time. And it just, honestly, I, after I saw it the second time, I was like, I'm done with this movie. There's nothing left for it. Like, and, and that's the distinction I need to make is it's to me, it's never, it's just not a great movie. It's a fine for what it is. And I love that it was an event and he pushed the technology further, but as a movie, I can't, there's nothing else for me to take away from from it because i'd rather watch as i said the abyss or aliens t2 any i honestly because the story is so predictable and yeah it's exactly there's nothing because it's a lack of nuance and there's not really anything new that he's doing other than the visuals Mm-hmm. Well, I got the visual, like the visuals are the most surface level thing. And I wish, I guess, yeah, I guess I, there's more things for me to chew on with movies like the abyss and even other, you know, successful films than there is with avatar. And I, I, that's, that's my biggest thing is there's just nothing much to take away from it beyond its very simple surface message. Mm-hmm. So repeat viewings, which is kind of my big, um, arbiter of like what I consider great films for me personally are do I want to watch them again and again and I don't I'm done with Avatar I'm I think done. that's a great barometer to have because I I like that too like the ones that I that end up usually on my top tens at the end of the year are some things that I want to watch again and again mm-hmm. yeah. and and I'm with you this movie is very very simplistic but at the same time this it, it, this might be that case where it's like it may not be designed to watch over and over again and and 
maybe mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah, that, yeah. Because I'm with you. I feel the exact maybe same. Maybe we're just thing. made to be an experience. And and some movies are, especially in this, like, you know, like Gravity's that same way. I like that movie. I like that movie more than I like Avatar. But just like Avatar, it just, it didn't hold up as well watching it at home. Yeah, uh, that is a good point. And, that is a good and, point. And as much as I, I loved that movie in the theater, and it's the same thing with Avatar. It's like, maybe these movies were just designed for that big screen experience. And I think that's great if, if filmmakers... Like great filmmakers like Cameron, like Alfonso Cuarón, are like getting people's asses in the seats and getting them into a movie theater. And if they only watch it that one time, that's okay. That's okay. You you got them there. You got them there, and they pulled something pretty magnificent out. And sure, a movie like Hugo, I love more than those, and will watch at home. Like mm-hmm. some of those hold up, some of those don't. But I think I still like the experience of watching Avatar is still like. I actually didn't finish watching all of it this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I feel like that might be making your case more of why it's an overrated. But at the same <laughs> time, I'm like, I just want that memory of watching it. That's the two times I saw it in the theater. Uh, I just, yeah. I want that. Uh, yeah. I don't want to taint it, I guess. Cause I, cause I don't yeah. know. I, 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 again, with my assessment of, we don't know where this movie is going to fall years down the yeah, road. Will I want to rewatch it. But like as a standalone movie, it, it, I think it's a great, you know, a great visual feat. But you're right; there is not a whole lot to chew on. Well, it's, 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 an, it's a nice uh, kind of um, maybe busy day, like home video weaving, because you can, you, you know, you know the beats of the story, and they're so predictable, and the way they're executed is so like kind of everything's on the surface level that you can, you can just like watch it in the background and just look at the pretty pictures every once in a while, and I think it would still make like for a really uh, fun kind of movie watching at home experience right and uh, and you made already kind of made this point octay but i i definitely think you're right in that this movie maybe almost had to be so simplistic to even get made on the scale that it did and the maybe, budget that yeah. it did because I, I mean you know you shouldn't bet against james cameron and i feel like even the studios need to remember that it's like hey don't bet against this guy he's gonna make you a shitload of money yeah. 20th century fox or whoever mm-hmm. you know maybe, you know he's gonna the, be doing the amount of attention that he had to put to um to basically creating a brand new technology mm-hmm. a brand new technology um, and and a movie on this scale and this budget hugely budgeted that's not based on anything like yeah. you can you can say that it's pocahontas and all that virgoy all you want and the parallels are there but it's not based on anything previously published so and you no. could say the same thing about a new hope the original star wars yeah. exactly. It's, exactly. it's it is very similar in that sense yeah yep. yeah and it's, it's uh, uh you know one thing i could say that it's like if he didn't have enough time to i mean i guess that goes into his like kind of notorious ego as well but if he didn't have kind of like if he was like i need to focus on this technology and spend years developing it and developing this movie maybe he should have hired a screenwriter but um <laughs> he anyway. did for the sequels though apparently he's yeah, got so maybe somebody who's writing you know, them. maybe he's listening to all these criticisms of like you know how kind of flat this the script was and you know doing something to remedy it because you know he he wrote pretty much like everything that He's ever, so so for him to like hire screenwriters and like kind of go in that different direction maybe maybe the sequels are going to be like the uh the empire strikes back of the, the this whole saga like they're going to be like oh this is you're going to watch it and you'll be like wow this is so much better 
That would be great. And I mean, and Eric already touched on that point. Like this, that just, he's never been that nuanced, but like, he really isn't nuanced here. Like, like he's always been able to like, like, for example, if you, you take the Pandora seat that you're talking about, like Stephen Lang gives that exposition about Pandora and you compare it with the, like the chase scene in the first Terminator when Kyle Reese is giving Sarah Connor like everything about like how why he's back in time, like why he came back in time, why he's after her, why he's got to protect her, and even though it's really expository and it's really on the nose, it happens during a car chase. Like yes. it's an intense moment that like you almost have to get that information out in like a concise, clear, mm-hmm. easy to follow way, and you know compare that with this movie where it's like you know it can be maybe a little bit more nuanced or it doesn't have to be that or obvious. It can be more organic, you know, like yeah, it's exactly. not an avatar. It's not organic to the sequence. It's just Stephen Lang literally talking to a group of people. And it's like, that's really visually boring for a rather visually dynamic movie. You know, like that's, it's like, you can do better than that. And he has done better than that, as you've explained right there with that Terminator example. Um, yeah. So it's like the mustache twirling yeah. evil guy against like, he's literally, he's like drinking coffee while he's like attacking the, like, can you not make it so like just ham fisted <laughs> and obvious? Like it becomes like kind of a self parody after a while. Like, uh, um, like kind of like uh, he's you know like uh, have you guys seen Mick Gruber? Yeah, oh, like yet. like like Kanth in Mick Gruber, like that kind of like parody bad guy who's just like so evil that like you're you're so cartoonish. But in the, in that movie, of course, it's supposed to be a parody. But in this one, it's like it's so just off putting, and you know <laughs> it's but but yeah, it's like the performance of the guy just really to me is what kind of makes it tolerable and saves it a little bit. But yeah, that's the um, yeah, but, that's the like, thing. Otherwise, though, I think the performances between the two movies specifically, and you know, Avatar versus other Cameron films in general, the performances are just you by and large really not up to snuff in Avatar. Especially like Sam Worthington, man. Oh, yeah. Sam Worthington, he's he's whatever. He's sort of a blank hero. That's kind of what the role needs. He's yeah. not very good. But Sigourney Weaver is really like comes off like not comfortable in the green screen. I don't know what it was, yeah. but. I love Sigourney Weaver, and she doesn't come off very well. In I think that it's movie. mostly because some actors just like they have trouble adjusting to this like all green screen all the right. time. Like if you watch, uh, I think that was an issue with with him as well. But like if you watch the difference between the performances of uh, Ian McKellen's performance in Lord of the Rings as opposed to the Hobbit trilogy, yeah. there's a huge difference in energy and commitment. And he's just kind of like sleepwalking through it, and the Hobbit, he just kind of looks like confused, and, and which then, I guess know, that was the case. Yeah. And then, I mean, ultimately, like, then uh, just more specifically with the Abyss, like, the whole cast, everybody in the Abyss, I think, is great. Like, just really, really strong. So, and they were all yeah. into, the, into the shit, it, like, literally, like, into the, like, the, the, the water and like Ed yeah. Harris once yeah, like almost it. drowned and he like he like you had a nervous draft yeah yeah there are sequences that really stick with you in the abyss and the other thing I guess I would knock on avatars there's no sequences that I'm like oh like there's cool moments but nothing like as I watched the abyss today I was just like oh yeah this is the part where the fucking crane comes down and they're just like talk about tension building as you're watching the rope pile up and and then it continues and then there's the fight with Michael Bean and Ed Harris and then there's like all these sequences and uh, moments that I look look forward to. Yeah, yeah, and looked forward to. Not I just don't have that with Avatar, and I just I just I, I 
you know, I want it. I want to feel the greatness that a lot of people feel with the movie, but I just never have. But uh, especially and, since it, it, it energy wise, it kind of keeps like keeps going down. Like it's just like it, yeah. it becomes more and more stale as you watch it because well, and the highs like are contrasted with like really low lows in the movie. Like I, yeah. I, there's a couple sequences um, that I do look forward to in this movie. Uh, really, only two uh, when he has to sort of like train that like dragon type creature and right. like connect with that. Like I really like like that sequence a lot uh and then like the last 40 minutes like that sort of like set piece i really really like as well to, um, yeah. to, to me the best sequence but, happens like very early on when he first finds himself in the body of the the creature and he's ecstatic and he's like running around because he's he can so walk happy again. yeah he's so happy yeah. that he has legs and it's just like this and that's the first time you see like you're just like looking around like i remember when i first watched it on imax in 3d and you just like keep looking at the background to see all these like details and uh that's the first time you see like this this whole world and it just like expands in front of you and that that scene is still like kind of awe-inspiring but then that's one of the problems with like when you kind of have the best scene in the movie like very early on it becomes very hard to like kind of be motivated to watch the rest of it yeah yeah it's true i hear that i hear that um yeah, I, I mean, you're right. The Abyss, there's way more moments. You're like, oh, yeah, this is when this happens. But, I mean, there's a couple in, in Avatar. I mean, um, shit, there's a lot of cheesy stuff in The Abyss. Like, as I've said, it's like a hokey movie. But, like, I, and this might tap into the nostalgia I have for the movie because I saw it at a young age and loved it so much. But, like, <laughs> the when the Afro, I mentioned the crane sequence when it's falling. Uh, how about the, like, dialogue reading by the, the bald guy that's at the top of the ship that's connected to their like rig hmm. when he's like the crane the crane yeah. like, that i've always you know when you've seen a movie so much that you kind of nostalgic for the, yes. the bad moments like that like that's a really that's that's like wow dude that's the take that they took for that scene i've yeah. always thought of it as like kind of a bad moment but i love it for being in there that every time it's coming up i'm like oh this is the crane moment and he just that the I way wonder, that, i love that shit i wonder I if that. toy story got uh got that from this movie <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The right. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, there's another quick kind of cheesy moment that like in the lesser movie wouldn't work, but for me it's great is the military guy that does swing onto the like the good guy's side in the abyss, the the character that helps balance out yeah, that, yeah. the the sort of character that's sorely lacking in something like Avatar. Mm-hmm. But uh fucking Ed Harris is trying to sneak up on Michael Bean. It's another very tense moment and he messes up and Michael Bean pulls a gun on him and he sh- pulls the trigger and then it, you know, the no bullet comes out and then it cuts to that guy as he like for no reason other than to be dramatic, he like spits the bullets out of the clip that he had taken out and he mm. like closes his eyes like, "Yes, I did that. I did that." And it's so <laughs> it's so hokey. It's such a like actor movie moment like hey man you really dramatic right now but it fucking works because you're like yeah that guy did that it's a it's one of those for me like like the fist pump moment it is and then it's followed by as i alluded to or mentioned earlier the great one of the great slow-mo punches and like honestly no bullshit movie history like i'll be that hyperbolic it's so great the way that scene is great it's amazing and so yeah i um cheesy stuff even yeah. that stuff works for me. The but but that, that's that's part of like some of our favorite movies. Like I feel like we look forward to like the the endearing kind of cheesy moments yes. that we know are coming. It's just like and that's kind of like part of the part of the fun. It is that you know yeah, like it doesn't that for me for it's sure. It's a little goofy and it doesn't like 
it's you know, but you're you're kind of like I still love it. Whatever. The crane, the crane. <laughs> it's on its way down to you. That's what the guy does. So that's that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's it's also um you know as far as the home video releases, it couldn't be more night and day between the two movies we're talking right. about because the 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 three Blu-ray edition of Avatar is incredible. Like nice. the, the 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 transfer, just like the straight digital transfer. Um, uh, and it's, uh, you know, that's this that I usually use to, like, showcase the projector system to people, and I use it as, like, a demo disc. So it's, it's kind of interesting that these two films, like, might have the best versus the worst, like, home video. <laughs> I know, it's so sad. Availability. Yeah, come on, Cameron, we know you're listening. Yeah, we know we, you're an yeah. over-under fan. Yeah, Fuck yeah, he sure is listening. <laughs> Make it yeah. happen, man. Take away from this podcast. Give us our Abyss Blu-ray and True Lies while you're at it. If he yeah, is absolutely. listening, how was sex with Linda Hamilton like? <laughs> That's, that, that would be the one thing I would want to know, of course. That's you know. It's, it's speaking of cheesy moments, as cheesy as the the movie is, I love True Lies. Also, yes. like that that's a nostalgic movie for me. For but that, sure, that, the tone of that is supposed to be cheesy and goofy. Oh, I know, funny, but I, I love it. It's, it's very yeah. funny. Like even Tom it. Arnold is funny in that movie, <laughs> which is very rare sight. I know. That's that yeah. James Cameron is so good. He made Tom Arnold funny. Well, and fucking Clooney's producing partner Grant Heslov is the guy yeah. in the van. Like. Yeah. He's a part so of his great. team or whatever. Yeah, he's the cameraman yeah. at the end. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's great. That's very cool. Yeah, very those cool. three, man. The Abyss, uh, both theatrical and special editions, True Lies, and Strange Days, like, we sorely need uh, Agreed. Blu-ray releases. Uh, you know, by the time they happen, it'll, it'll probably be, like, the 4K Blu-ray or whatever the fuck, but, you know. Yeah, the, the Ultra HD. Well, hey, we can start a Kickstarter page if, if all else fails to yeah. get the thing going. Just be like... So. Just do a White House White House petition. Exactly. Well, Obama will be like, "What is Strange Days?" Yeah, it sounds like we're uh, spinning off a little bit, so it might be a good time to wrap this up. What do you guys yeah, think? Let's do it. Think so. All right. All right. Cool. Well, uh, thank wrap you. For it up, the episode. Yeah, wrap it up, B. Yeah. Just watch that uh, Chappelle show episode. <laughs> the... It's it's so great. Yeah. yeah it's so uh, great. Well, well, signing off is Ryan Oliver, uh, host of the podcast Unspooled Real and author of the blog Wellness in Twenty Four Frames. Hey, this is Octavia Kozak, uh, film critic for BayasParada.com, The Oregon Herald, DVD Talk, and The Playlist. And I'm Eric McClanahan, signing off, film critic for The Playlist, Oregon Arts Watch. My other film podcast is Adjust Your Tracking, and I have one more thing to say, and it's my most favorite line from The Abyss. Keep your pantyhose on. Oh, that's so brilliant. (laughs) Uh, I should end it there, but we have plugs, unfortunately. (laughs) Plug away. uh, as always, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Over Under Movies. Uh, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Over Under Movies. Uh, leave us a comment. Uh, if you have Over Under Movies or movies that you think are overrated and underrated, uh, you know, open discussion up. Who knows? Maybe we'll want to pick one of them. Yeah, you uh, know. And yeah, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Leave a comment or rating. It always helps know what we are doing right and what we can improve on. Uh, but as always, thank you for listening. And we'll be back in a couple weeks with uh, with another set of picks. So thanks for listening. For Brian. Yeah, for me. So, so prepare. Yeah. Bye.